You're listening to Flipping Tables on Sunrise Robot. Find out how you can support us at sunriserobot.net slash support. Flipping Tables, this is episode number 64. I am one of your hosts, David Lyons. And I'm Mike Edwards. And wow, 64 just feels more important than it should feel. It is it are you a big base eight math guy or binary? It's that and it's Nintendo 64 for some reason. Just <laughs> 64 bits, man. All those bits. This is the last cartridge-based episode. <laughs> yeah. We'll go to these tiny little discs that don't no one else <laughs> understands. <laughs> So uh, we have a little bit of follow-up uh, this week, and I'm sad to say that I completely struck out on uh, geek knowledge last time when I was talking about Harry Potter and Game of Thrones. So fortunately, uh, Susan listens to the show, and she set me straight, along with a couple other people who were like, how did you screw that up? <laughs> um, but uh, you and I, you had it backwards, and then I confirmed that you had it backwards. <laughs> Game of Thrones was the first book. And a song of uh, fire and ice is the series. Okay, this is so, a whole like the 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 doctor's Frankenstein. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, it's it's Frankenstein's Game of Thrones. It's, it's actually Frankenstein's monster, Doctor Frankenstein. Oh god, that's uh, this is one of the character flaws they gave to Ted Mosby and How I Met Your Mother. And that poor actor was just so good at making you hate him for being a pedantic <laughs> asshole. I'm also fairly sure if you call someone pedantic, it kind of makes you yeah. a really shallow jerk. You pedant. Um, yeah, exactly. and, and what's this about Quidditch that we were also wrong about? Yeah. So um, let me let me make sure I, I read this because if I screw this up twice, I don't know what will happen. Um, so the the bludger is the ball that tries to smack you all upside your head. And then the beaters are the actual players that are like trying to hit those balls through the, uh, the rings. And then the quaffle is just a regular ball. So all the ridiculous words that when you say them all together, makes you sound really silly and it's hard to fight back the giggles, but Susan, and you know, Susan's very nice. She very politely said like, Hey, all of the words you said were wrong. And I'm also a little disappointed. Well, I just want Susan to to know about my favorite character, Gandalf, who was portrayed by Patrick Stewart and his, his famous line, use the force, Harry. It's one of my favorite moments in, in fantasy. I think there's a good inspirational uh, poster of that. A nice, like high res black and white shot. We should include that in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Do you know what the name for that? I don't know. Meme is that, that whole thing. No, I have no idea that the like multiple levels of wrong. Yeah, it's just like how angry can you make the internet? <laughs> yeah. And uh then the the last bit of follow up, I think possibly the best bit of follow up is no less than two companies are already promising to make BB8 RC droids that you can drive around. Which is awesome. It it's so exciting, <laughs> especially because one of them has like a the kind of splash page you would have if you were announcing some like 
web 2.0 app that's missing a bunch of vowels. It's like, <laughs> it's all black and it just has like a gray outline of the BB-8 droid. And uh, let me see, it's from a company called Sphero that actually already makes a little RC droid. Um, but all it says on the page, there's like a, a sign up box and some navigation, but the only like body text is this is the droid you're looking for. <laughs> it's just like you're, you're taking something so completely stupid and making it so serious, but I want one so bad that I don't care. <laughs> yeah. I just don't even care. Uh, yep. And we, we need star Wars Roombas. I think we mentioned that last episode too. Yeah, you did. And actually, uh, you know, it's funny cause I was listening to the show and, uh, you said that again, you know, I got to that part of the episode and I thought like, seriously, how is that still not a thing? Cause I just, you would think the, the people who are playing, um, you know, like Jedi outcast when they were teenagers, when that game was new and, and, you know, young kids, I guess like they're now the age where they're working for companies and, and in industries where this could be a thing. Maybe they're just terrified of of the hammer of Disney coming down on them and copyright infringement. So Google Fi is happening. Google Fi is happening. This is uh, this is now the confirmed name for their wireless service. Um, pretty much everything that was rumored is true. Like there's just not a lot of <laughs> surprises <laughs> left. I mean, if this was an Apple announcement, I think they'd be really pissed because everything. <laughs> got leaked ahead of time. There was no big reveal, but, uh, an interesting side to this is this was announced with a blog post and that was just how Google decided like, Oh, Hey, I'm just gonna gonna throw this out in a blog post. And I saw Nile Patel from the verge was like, what? We didn't get briefed on this. You're just gonna, you're just gonna put a blog out. Yeah. No like media briefing. no, uh, pre-signed NDAs. Oh, guys, we're going to announce it at 1. So then at 101, you guys can release all your blog posts talking about how exciting it is and how revolutionary it is. It was just, you know, they found out exactly when the rest of us found out. <laughs> but it didn't seem to... I mean, I, I suppose there's good coverage to have, but there was no shortage of coverage about it, to my eyes. No, not at all. Because, I mean, you have people who... Literally, their job is to be prepared to churn out an article the minute something like this happens. And then the little developing ellipses at the end. Yeah, check back to this URL as we get more information on this breaking story. And you know, so it, you can actually you can see this at phi.google.com slash about because they didn't go with google.com slash phi like they should have, but that's another thing. But it, it, they're very kind of... Like it looks polished and it looks like they put work into it, but I really think they're playing up the same kind of thing they played up with Google Fiber, which is here's a thing, here's enough facts about this thing to get you really excited, and uh, you got to request an invite because we're not going to let just anybody <laughs> in. So uh, you know, going to dole scarcity. this out slowly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at least with Google Fiber, you could argue. Well, they have to lay cable in the ground and run that cable to your house. And there's like, there's work to be done. But with this, I mean, you just, you just let people give you money and then you have, you know, cause they're an MBNO, which means they're, uh, like subcontracting network from established networks. There is no build out that has to happen. All of the innovation they're doing is in the like customer management, you know, utility software side. It's not like 
we're going to build towers that are octagons instead of triangles. Like there's just, yeah. So this project fee or Google fee, is it fee or fi? It has to be fee, fi, fee, right? Fi, like fi, fi. Yeah, you're right. Um, <laughs> so it's on top of Sprint and T-Mobile's networks. Cause you know, God knows Verizon isn't going to be part of anything innovative. And, uh, one of my favorite things about the story is that John Laguerre, the T-Mobile the CEO, found a way to turn this into an opportunity to bash the other partner in Google Fi, um, at least by, like, by process of elimination. <laughs> um, he didn't specifically call out Sprint, but he, he said, since the cellular connection will be made based on network speed, we expect to capture the largest share of traffic coming from Project Fi customers. Yeah, and I love this picture of him. I mean, it's presumably not from any event related to Google Fi, but it's just... Yeah, there's like a Tron cycle in the background or something. Yeah, there, it, that's it's exactly probably just what a that motorcycle. Like, isn't it? But he's just like holding up one hand and he's probably in the middle of a sentence, but it looks like he's just saying like, Sprint, just, just stop it. <laughs> stop. <laughs> stop. Did you and, see the, the tweet that went out from the conversation with him of like, or I think you might have posted on Google Plus where someone's like, he was like showing off his Apple Watch, and someone was like, "I have the same shoes as you." And he was oh, like, yeah. "He was like, no, you don't." And he has T-Mobile CEO on his shoes. Yeah, he has uh, that like T-Mobile fuchsia pink, um, yeah, color. I, I guess pink, whatever color that is. He has a a pair of Chuck Taylors that are that color, and it was just. I, I love when, you know, I mean, he's a multi, 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 multi millionaire. Like this is a, a powerful man who does not have to waste his time on something as frivolous as Twitter. But, you know, his money and his position in society doesn't change that he's still just a person. And he just saw this opportunity to like totally troll somebody. And it was awesome. <laughs> just uh, I, And also the fact that he walks around wearing pink Chuck Taylors that say T-Mobile CEO on the side fits his personality that we've seen lately <laughs> yeah. so well. Uh, but yeah, just not just like this like super happy press release. Yeah, we're happy to join Google and in innovating. It's no, we're the best network still. And this thing that chooses the best network at all times is going to choose us all the time. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> well, and that's actually so uh, two interesting things that I guess we're kind of confirmed or, or made more clear from this announcement uh, that I, I kind of want to get your opinion about. One was um, choosing the network, right? So uh, if if T-Mobile's faster, it'll choose T-Mobile. If Sprint is faster, it'll choose Sprint. But really, if Wi-Fi is even available, I think it's going to opt for Wi-Fi. I mean, for one thing, your Wi-Fi is likely to be comparably fast to a mobile network anyway and probably a stronger connection because you're near you know the base station like in your house or at your office but uh they were pretty clear that they're going to use wi-fi calling and and wi-fi data to keep your data costs down so would you want the fastest connection no matter what would you want the cheapest connection no matter what like do you want maybe kind of a balance, like if it's 50% faster, then yeah, go ahead and charge me for mobile data. Like, how do you feel about that? Well, it seems like these are the beginning stages of a true mesh net where your device is like, any way, any of you, any of y'all got a way in to what I'm asking for and like more intelligent connections that do auto-switch. So I don't know about like, the billing particulars of this and like, well, why didn't you use, why didn't you use a Wi-Fi more or... Um, 
I think mostly I don't want to have to think about it. And as long as the cost isn't drastically different or worse, then I'm like, eh, don't bother me. Just pick a good choice. Yeah, really. I just If I have to think about which network I'm on, you blew it kind of thing. Pretty much. I mean, I hate it. Like The thing that bothers me the most right now is so every time I leave, I was going to say our building, my building. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll get used to that soon. Uh, I manually turn Wi-Fi off because I know for half a block, my phone's going to be like, yeah, but I'm, hey, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm on that Wi-Fi network. And you're like, no, you're not. You think you are. And you're being lazy about checking again if you actually are. Please just go to LTE. I'm walking downtown. Yeah. You notice how the wireless signal is getting worse and worse? It's because I'm walking away. Stop trying to fight it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and this is so with Lollipop, which I would love to say I know all about because I have a Moto X, but they haven't released Lollipop for the older (laughs) Moto X yet. Um, They Part of the Lollipop update was smart ignoring of a crappy Wi-Fi signal. And this is something I have to deal with at home a surprising amount because the way my townhome is, uh, when it spills out into the front, there's a big long driveway that goes around the complex. So I'm actually within like 100 meters of my house for quite a long time coming and going. And the second my phone is like, oh, hey, home Wi-Fi. Hey, guys, I'm home. And then it just like it gloms on. And then when you're leaving, it's the reverse. Like you're trying to get, you know, Google maps to cooperate or whatever, and it won't load because it's trying to use this weak, terrible Wi-Fi signal. So this, this mesh network thing only makes sense to me if a heavy indicator of which network it chooses is the one that has the stronger signal, even if that means I'm going to have to pay for it. Yeah. And I get, I mean, when you look at these prices, I think it's, uh yeah, ten bucks for one gig, two uh twenty bucks for two gigs, and it, it just goes up like that. It, there's never like volume pricing or anything. And but then if you use like a partial gig, you get a partial refund. If you use partial over, um, you know, it only goes up that small amount. So you prepay and then it adjusts the price fairly within that. And I mean, even like I have two and a half two and a half, two and a half gigs of, of high speed data. And then it throttles me and I never come anywhere near that. Yeah. I mean, I'm on Wi-Fi, and, and I'm not like timid about my data. I mean, I stream, you know, video, I stream music, I surf the web indiscriminately and I never come <laughs> anywhere close. I have all my photos, you know, back up automatically right when they're taken to multiple services, you know, which means full versions are going like across the wire all the time. Never come anywhere near that limit. So if I can get that much data for like a third as much money, it's kind of hard to argue with. And T-Mobile's prices are good, especially when you get into like family plans and stuff. But um, I just I don't I don't see how for an individual anybody could compete with this kind of a package unless it doesn't work nearly as well as they're promising. <laughs> yeah, but maybe this is one of those things where they just have to start trying to do it to figure it out and you can't just be like well until we can do it perfectly we shouldn't try oh yeah well i mean that's what you know we in the tech sector have to deal with people like that all the time we're like well we're not positive that this will solve this problem for everyone forever so let's just keep doing nothing (laughs) and so here's the other thing i want to ask your your opinion about on uh this project fi announcement they are uh, making this Nexus Nexus six only for now. Um, no explanation of when they'll expand it. No 
kind of why it's Nexus 6 only. Um, and there have been some people who've claimed the Nexus 6 isn't selling as well as the 5 and the 4 did. Do you think there's any chance they're trying to do like a device purge? Or do you think it's just because they know the hardware, they know uh, the software because it's got a pure, you know, lollipop installation? Like, do you, do you think it's uh, altruistic reasons <laughs> or do you think they're just like, oh, we got to move units? I, I don't think the Nexus line has ever been like a, a giant revenue base for Google. I don't I don't really see that. I, I would see it more as like they the hardware they put together or or they know well. Uh, I, that's my guess. Yeah, I guess especially when you consider they don't actually make it. <laughs> like the the Nexus six is what, Motorola, the five I think was LG. I think the I'm pretty Four sure the was, also was LG. HTC made a couple of the early ones. Yeah, I think the one before the S, the Galaxy, or the oh yeah, Nexus Samsung S. made the S. Yeah, there've been you know there've been a surprising amount of them actually, because <laughs> it, it seems like Google got into the game late since they came after uh, the original iPhone. But even that, that's still going on eight years ago. Wow, <laughs> right? Yeah, the Nexus One I think was two thousand mid two thousand eight mid two thousand nine. <laughs> now I'm gonna I'm gonna live research. And people are still like, I'm not sure about this cell phone thing. (laughs) (laughs) You mean the thing that dwarfs everything Apple had ever done in its entire history, including the iPod? (laughs) Yeah, not so sure about that thing. Oh, I'm sorry. The Nexus One was the first Nexus, but it wasn't the first Android phone, which I was conflating. Oh, yeah, the G1. Yes, the G1 with the ridiculous flip-out keyboard. Yeah, and I'll I'll be honest. Just in case there's a recording of me somewhere, I distinct because a coworker of mine got one. He was like a, a release day early adopter with the G1 before I even had a smartphone, and uh, I remember being like, "Well, it has a real keyboard, so it's obviously superior." <laughs> and just like it took years for me to eat those words. Like I had a Palm Pre, the you know their attempt at being cool that failed miserably, unfortunately, and. And I just, I loved the real keyboard because I could type on it so super fast yeah. and it was super easy. And I just, oh man, I ate those words so hard. Well, I'm going to, I mean, I won't blanket statement because I didn't use every Android device. I didn't have one until the HTC One X, but um, the Droid I tried back in the day when the Droid was a thing, um, that thing was laggy as hell and I would have wanted a hardware keyboard. <laughs> I think they still use that. Uh, moniker but just for very few <laughs> devices yeah because there used to be like 10 different droids but like it would have felt more reliable on at least the droids seemed really laggy to me. i don't know if the g1 was laggy but um well, it those were the bad old days when motorola still crapped up their devices yeah because i mean now even samsung even samsung has dialed back on their overlay i think like motorola they strip stuff away like in bulk first. Um, HTC started cleaning up their overlay first. And then now even Samsung is just like, okay. <laughs> yeah. And I was right. The, I mean, I had the name of the, the phone wrong, but the G1 was 2008, October 2008. Yeah. And <laughs> Man, it looks so old in this picture. Holy crap. And there's always been good guy Sony with the really minimalist skins that barely change anything. And fast updates, but yeah, you know, no success for them. I feel so bad for some of their hardware divisions because, like, the PlayStation has obviously been very successful, and 
among like high end photographers, Sony cameras are starting to get a lot of recognition, but like people don't really brag that much about Sony TVs. Like the consumer level Sony cameras don't really get a lot of respect. Their tablets and smartphones get zero respect. They're Walkmans. <laughs> <laughs> is that long? Like, wait, is he serious? <laughs> um, and okay, so I'm I'm looking at the HTC G1, which, by the way, the the model name for this was the Dream, right? Or the T-Mobile G1, right? the T- The HTC Dream, also known as the T-Mobile G1, and I'm I'm remembering i'd completely forgotten about this that some of the early android phones had a trackpad (laughs) (laughs) which i couldn't even get through with a straight face a track nub or like a full pad um well so on some devices it was like a nub kind of like on an old thinkpad keyboard um but then on the nexus one it actually rolled so like you could continually you know, roll it in one direction. Well, that's a bad idea unless you put it on the side of a smartwatch. Then suddenly it's a great idea. Well, yeah, because then you have to give it a brilliant name like the digital crown, which, (laughs) holy crap, how did we not bring this up in follow-up? Can you please, like, can we talk about this? (laughs) I don't know. I take personal responsibility that you telling the world about the Apple Watch did not make it into follow-up. (laughs) <laughs> but just everybody stop everything, stop the presses. How's the Apple Watch? Uh, it's it's fun. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Little shrug emoji. Well, just knowing the internet, I don't want to be bold about anything. I, I'm having a blast just playing around with it. Um, I don't think any of the reviews were wrong. Like, third-party apps are sluggish. It doesn't do a lot yet. But it's fun. Um I, I like the tap um, compared to the pebble where it's just like in your whole like you feel like you you got shocked and you ever read the Kurt Vonnegut story Harrison Bergeron <laughs> yes, <laughs> where smart people get shocked so they don't get too smart or think too deeply um, that's yeah, a little extreme I'll thank you for shattering the glass on that for me because I didn't think the vibration on this pebble was bad at all and then you mentioned that like in a tweet or something when you were talking about the Apple watch and I was like Oh yeah, I guess it is kind of strong. <laughs> and then I got mad because I was like, why did he bring this to my attention? I was fine with it. Well, it made me always turn it off on the pebble and then I would just miss notifications and then I'd be like, why do I even wear this thing? <laughs> um, the Apple watch is more like, a, like I've been describing it as a creepy person that comes up and lightly taps you. <laughs> yeah, no, that's way better. It's excuse me, sir. <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, so, uh, you, have you, um, gotten used to like the honey i mean i know you've only had it for a week but or not even that what four days yeah um how do you how do you feel about like the the honeycomb interface because i'll tell you in press shots and stuff that was a huge immediate turn off i was like (laughs) um i've definitely tapped the wrong app many times because they're tiny (laughs) it's so tiny on the touch targets um uh it's pretty i i mean i think when you animate it around it looks nice kind of like the os 10 dock with magnification which i turn off immediately yeah um, i don't even think <laughs> yep. it comes turned on by default but um it's okay i mean i don't use apps on the watch much um i it's really notifications and then i instantly reply from the one i got if i'm replying at all um and do you talk to it yeah, um, it's Siri, and it, it works okay. 
Um, <laughs> it's it's mostly gotten right. I do like when you when you send texts. Like it seems like it seems like it doesn't always do this, and I don't know if that's because it gets more confident it got the translation right or not. Um, but it'll offer you the option of like, do you want to send my transcription or do you want to send the audio of what you said? Um, oh, so wait for like anything? Like for, what if you're replying to like an email? It'll not just for send no, it. not for anything for iMessages. Oh, okay, so that's built in iMessage now, where you can send. It's like little Snapchat things where you can just send little audio clips to each other. Um, so I mean, I, I I'm enjoying it because I'm a gadget geek and I love new toys. I can't make any long-term decisions, but I, the one thing I can confidently say, and I've already said this on Twitter and to other people several times, is I like having an Apple remote that will never be lost in the couch and will always be in a consistent place. Now, um, okay, so I did see you tweet that, and I need some clarification <laughs> because I, when I think of an Apple remote, I think of controlling iTunes and of controlling a keynote presentation and I know it does more than that, but like that's what I think of. So the fact that you put that much emphasis on having an Apple remote handy, I don't. I'm clearly missing something. Okay, so here's two things. The the one is I use my Apple remote 99.999 plus the remaining percent to control my Apple TV. So streaming TV shows to my TV. And so that's what I mean is which counter coffee table desk did i set that down on after we finished game of thrones yesterday don't care this thing on my wrist will do it <laughs> so and it's like well my phone can be a remote too yeah my phone is also not in a consistent place oh i'm charging it oh i put it on the counter oh it's in my pocket so just having to think at all is the difference there and you know the goal of technology is to not have to think right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that that sounds like um, job number one. But then I just extrapolate from that and say, yeah, I know you, I don't want to make the well future promise. You know, is the reason you should buy something now? It's not the argument I'm making, but this will be a remote for everything that never is lost in the couch. Yeah, I'm, well, every Apple thing. Well, a third party app. So I mean, I'll control Spotify or I'll control other stuff. Ooh, so as a formal, of former Pebble person, um, how do you feel about the the accidental and sudden disappearance of Pebble apps from the App Store? Um, it's probably a douchey move on Apple's part. <laughs> <laughs> I love, there's like that one picture of Tim Cook where it looks like Someone just happened to snap a picture where it looks like he got caught with his hand in the cookie jar. <laughs> and every article that ever comes out about like, oh, we think Apple did this for nefarious reasons always has that picture at the top where Tim is like, oh, you got me, but what the hell are you going to do about it? <laughs> Nothing. Uh, the one last area I'd mention is, and this is completely anecdotal from day three of having one of these, day four. Um You've just lost all track of time now that you have this incredible watch. <laughs> um, and that's, um, it's about 10 o'clock here we're recording, and that's a solid um, 12, 13 and a half hours since I pulled it off the charger, and it says it has 54% battery. So I'm like, that's two days if my usage stayed what I used it today, and I don't feel like I was skimping on it. I I never took it off other than to show a coworker. Um, 
it basically tracked my fitness while I was drumming at band practice. It, 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 oh, uh, yeah. Did you get a bunch of steps? It vibrated my wrist and said, you met your fitness goal. I'm like, oh, because I'm like sweating because I'm drumming. <laughs> yeah. No, see, that one's pretty fair because drumming is hard. Like, <laughs> It's not like you were gesturing a lot while you were talking. Like if it's <laughs> counting drumming as activity, it's like, yeah, that counts. That totally counts. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I guess I'm, I'm not saying too much definitively. I really like it, just like I like my iPad that I call useless all the time. Um, and there's potential, but none of the criticisms, I'm not disagreeing with any of the review criticisms on, yeah, do I want this thing notifying me all the time? Or yeah, these apps are slow or any of that. Like that's all true. So, well, and okay. So, so two things to unpack there. One, when you said uh, earlier before we were getting ready to record, you told me how much battery you had left or how much it was reporting, I guess, and uh, how long you'd had it off the charger. And like, I was, I was blown away. I was like, there's, you know, there's a couple hours ago, but you were like, yeah, it says like 72%. I was like, what? You've had it <laughs> off the charger for like 10 hours and it's reporting that much battery remaining? Like, there's no Android device I that I or Android Wear device I've heard of where anybody could make a claim like that. Yeah. Um and I it's again, I it's not like I've been like, don't use it, don't use it. Um like I've sent probably a dozen texts today and like I used it to map. We were driving to an off site work thing to look at open offices and uh you know I used the map and it was tapping my wrist at every turn and um so yeah, it seems kind of impressive. But I, I mean, I've seen reports um, where people have had not the greatest battery life. And so varies with usage. Um, definitely the more the screen is on, the more the obviously the more the screen is on. Um, using apps definitely drains it a lot faster. Well, and the, the screen thing is something I, I, per, I have a deep personal struggle with because... For the week that I tested, or the, I don't know, four days or whatever, that I tested the Moto 360, one of the features, and every smartwatch I know of has a version of this feature, is when you lift your wrist in that, like, turning towards your face so you can look at the watch kind of gesture, it lights the screen up. Well, I move my arms a lot when I'm speaking, and I tend to not shut the hell up for any longer than I have to, which means I'm waving my hands around all the time. Like I'm trying to warn someone who can't hear me that there's a fire. And I strongly suspect that is keeping the screen on way, way more than you know, the manufacturer is intending for it to be on. I'm waving my hand around right now, just explaining, (laughs) waving my hand around to you. Like it's, I can't, I can't stop. It's just a part of the, you know, a part of my body language. And the alternative is to just say, we'll leave the screen off all the time and then I will tap it to turn it on. And I refuse to even yeah. consider that an option. No. Um, the Apple Watch seems to be really aggressive about trying to detect if you're actually intending to look at it. And so if if I swing my arm up, it'll light up. And then within a few seconds, if I don't do something, it, it goes away. And then I just tried right now, like waving my arm around and it turns off and goes, oh, he's just waving his arms around like a madman. Don't light the screen up. Um, oh, so maybe if there's too much movement, it's like, well, that he's, he's obviously re- not trying to look at it. He's being chased by a wolf. He's, he's not <laughs> trying to see his next meeting. 
<laughs> Only Apple would consider that a necessary feature. Um, but it seems like that's the thing that all the smartwatch software has to get really smart about. And also, even just for the use case of, oh, I actually did raise my arm, um, that needs to work pretty much every single time or I'm going to get angry and not rely on it. And it's reminding me of like, yeah, you're not going to do spoken word to transcribe if it fails all the time, or you're not going to use a fingerprint sensor if it fails half the time, because you're going to be like, ah, screw it, I'll just put my pin in every time, because I know it'll work. Right. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm sure it's different for different kinds of areas, but I feel like three out of four is the an average threshold of success before something can be considered a convenience. You know, like... a. In my old office, your current office, we have uh, those RFID uh, locks on some of the doors, and my I have two cards in my wallet that have RFID chips in them, and if they're within about four inches of each other, the thing won't register. So at first, I had these like grand dreams of like, oh, I'll just leave the card in my wallet, and I'll just slap it against the the pad, and the door will unlock. And I tried that, and if you like press it against the pad and then like drag it in a circle and like half remove one of the other cards. Like you could get it to work. But by the time I had done all that, I could have just taken the card out, tapped it and put it back. (laughs) And that would have been a much less frustrating experience because I would have known what I was going to do. And then what I was going to do would have worked in the way I expected and I'd be done. So even if it did take longer, even if it took considerably longer, having you know, reality match your expectations is says a lot. Yeah. And you're just reminding me when I, a couple of weeks ago, I forgot to mention when I did the try-on appointment, um, they had like a, a little NFC or something near field-ish um, to open the big drawer of watches. And I swear this, this Apple employee, this poor Apple employee swiped their little reader thing at least, 12 or 15 times and it was <laughs> it, it wasn't working and i'm like that's why not, that's not a good look like why don't you just have a drawer <laughs> yeah why don't you just maybe uh get a key or something <laughs> yeah um and then like you know they called their friend over who had his own and like the fifth time of his it finally worked and he's like no you gotta like your left hand has to be over here and you gotta pull at the right and i was like that's this sounds like a bad like this can you get Johnny Ivan here to design this because this isn't working? <laughs> it's going to be really hard for you to sell any of these revolutionary devices if you can't open the case. So my my only other Apple Watch thing now that we have, because, you know, the, this has been like your initial reaction and then in a few weeks we'll have to have your long-term reaction. But <laughs> what I'm curious about is um, Shelby also got one of these, right? So Shelby of, of Likely Story fame right here on Sunrise Robot, she also has uh, an Apple Watch, and she is, I think, decidedly less of a gadget whore than you, right? Yeah, that's is fair that, to say. Am I, am I being hyperbolic in this no. claim? <laughs> How does she feel about it? Because everybody I know who got one this early is, you know, a gadget whore. Yeah. Um I'll have to ask her more about it. I know initially it was kind of overwhelming. The the interface, like she's like, I need I need lessons. I don't know what am I doing, <laughs> and just like the different <laughs> swipes and like we we talked about at length about how no your interface isn't intuitive. Um, I think that held true, and I mean I think she's getting more comfortable, but there was definitely that like I what. <laughs> and like i mean some legitimate complaints right here um so the apple watch 
is reliant on your phone for everything that ends up on it. Apps, if you decide to sync music or God forbid some photos onto it. Um, and it's not clear when or how it's syncing them or what its progress is in syncing them. It, this is all invisible. So, um, is, is there an indicator? Nothing? No, like little spinner? What I've been able to gather is it, it, on, it only uh, transfers stuff when the phone or the watch is charging. So it tries not to kill your battery moving that stuff. Okay. I mean, but then if if that's not indicated to the user in any way, you would have to have several instances yeah. where you're like, oh, I said I wanted to move some photos over, and then the next morning they were there. It must have happened while it was charging. A miracle happened. So, I mean, <laughs> the way it worked with this was Shelby's like, yeah, I downloaded the OneNote app, and they have a watch app included, and I want that on the watch, but it's not there yet. So can I tell it that to put it? there (laughs) and it's just like well it'll be there eventually and it's like for some reason that's not transparent whatsoever yeah i would expect uh some kind of like hey do you want me to do this right now and kill your battery a little bit or do you want to wait and i'll do it overnight like maybe during the setup process or i don't know i guess that's just not apple's style yeah i don't know although i will say they've gotten really aggressive with that on os 10 um, I just had to set up a new machine and multiple times it was like, hey, you want to uh, check out these new features? Hey, uh, we just updated Safari. You want to check that out? Oh, man, we just downloaded the Photos app. You want to uh, you want to go check out the Photos app? <laughs> just like, Jesus, I know. I put it there. Just leave me the hell alone. Yeah, I think if you, uh, if you install Chrome, there's at least once it'll pop up and be like, hey, buddy, Safari's a thing. Want to <laughs> w- w- try Safari? You're like, no. <laughs> no. No, as a matter of fact, I don't. <laughs> oh, side note about this new machine I'm setting up. Uh, I was in a, a room full of people. We were all setting up new laptops. And uh, I'd used you know Macs for a while now. And, and I'd seen Retina screens. But I've gotten very used to my my old Air that had a, ni- a perfectly nice screen, just not like a Retina screen. And uh, one of the guys in the room was like, oh, I've never used a Mac before. This is really nice. And I was like, yeah, but what you don't realize is you just ruined yourself forever on other displays. <laughs> I was like, no, even if you're not like a photo person or you're not a gamer, now when you look at any other kind of laptop screen or desktop screen, you're going to be like, why is this fuzzy? Is, <laughs> does this look fuzzy to you guys? This seems fuzzy. There's not a 900% saturation on the color. Why not? <laughs> yeah, it, it's... I mean, I've been using this particular machine for less than 12 hours, and I'm just like, I can never go back. (laughs) It's so pretty. And this isn't even their best screen. They have their crazy iMac 5K screen. Yeah, and immediately on websites, you get angry when, like, oh, all the, the, the fonts scale perfectly to Retina, but that graphic is blurry. And, yeah, and it's, why is that graphic blurry? Yeah, why did you not have five different versions <laughs> that resize to my display? Basically, so Google Contributor. I, you know, I the longer I've been dealing with this over the last you know few days, and I say the longer because I spend a lot of time on you know on the web and on the mobile web. It's I don't. I'm not sure about it, man. So did, did you get your Google Contributor invite? No, I didn't, but just uh, can you set this up for what that is for our listeners? 
Yeah, so I, I mentioned it a while back, but uh, for anybody who doesn't have a, a perfect, flawless memory, um, Google Contributor is an experiment Google's trying where you throw money at them, and then instead of showing you ads, they sometimes just show you nothing. Or you can be shown pictures of cats, which is, of course, what I have it set to. Or you can be shown uh, like pictures of famous artwork, these kinds of things. So uh, the way it works is if you are a user like I am, um, you set the amount of money you want to pay and they tell you right up front, you know, at this amount of money, you're going to skip seeing about 20% of the ads you would have normally seen for anybody who's using, you know, ad services from Google, uh, at this higher amount of money, maybe like 50% of the ads at this way higher money, maybe as much as like 60 or 70% of the ads. And they admit that it's a range based on a variety of crazy factors, AdSense, SEO, whatever. Um, but the thing is, on mobile, it replaces it with a tiny clear box that in light gray text says, thank you for contributing, so that they don't have to take up part of the screen with like a photo of some kind. And on the mobile web, I'm finding it really distracting because the block where the ad would normally be is usually like colorful and really obtrusive and I've subconsciously become an expert at ignoring it. But now because the little block is clear and there's light gray text, I think it's part of the website and I try and read it. And then I'm like, Oh, it says, thank you for contributing. It's that Google contributor thing. The thing that was supposed to save me from wasting time on this (laughs) on the, on desktop is great because the ads just don't show up. You don't even realize that they're not supposed to be there. And it's just super. Well, I mean, I see pictures of cats, but like you just, you know, they're, they're very unobtrusive because people have already kind of mastered the like banner ad and then the side ad and, and all that kind of stuff, footer ads and, and we've sort of gotten used to navigating the web with that, but on mobile, it's still not like it's a better experience, but it's still not a great experience. Yeah. So you think you're going to cancel this? Well, it's so I'm doing the lowest tier. I'm only paying two dollars a month. Um, the good news is that money doesn't go to Google. It, it still goes to the people who would have had an ad served. Um, so I feel like I'm kind of doing a little bit to support. Like, hey. If you have the money and you believe in a service, maybe you can give them money instead of viewing ads. Like maybe you don't have to pay for everything with your ears and eyeballs. And uh, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try it out for a little while because, I mean, they're in super invite-only beta experiment phase. And it's, it's not free, but it's not expensive. Um, I, I feel like I, I want to get to the point where I, I notice if I'm no longer noticing, you know? Yeah. Because right now on, on a mobile website that would have had a, a tiny banner ad at the bottom, I noticed this little gray box every time. I'm like, Ugh. Um, Other than sort of hoping and wanting this to be good and succeed, do you think this is actually going to succeed? Um, I think the overhead of maintaining a thing like this is low enough that if Google wants to keep this avenue open to set an example, they don't really have any reason I can think of not to. Because this is probably a, a feature built on top of their existing ad service that just says, oh, hey, is this guy signed into Chrome? Oh, hey, does that guy pay us money? Okay, just don't serve him ads depending on these algorithmic reasons. Or if 
maybe do serve him ads depending on these other algorithmic reasons because it doesn't block all ads. It's just a portion. And they're really clear about that, which I appreciate because when this first got rumored, I was like, how much do you have to pay to not see any ads anywhere on the internet? Because that's probably a lot. (laughs) A lot of effort, at least. Yeah. I mean, because Google, like, no matter what we like to think, they're an ad company. Like, that is where the vast, vast majority of their income comes from. And then second after that is, um, like, weird donations and, like, money shuffling around. So it's like, you know, they can't just get rid of ads because then they would be getting rid of Google. But (laughs) what I want is for these things to coexist. I don't want to have to pay to access everything because I really appreciate having access to more stuff on the internet than I could possibly afford to buy. Yeah. I mean, Hulu is a good example. Like I love, even though you still have to sit through ads, I love that I can watch a show I want to watch when I want to watch it. And if I have to sit through commercials to get through that, you know, episode of the daily show or whatever, like that's, I consider that a fair trade off. I will watch your terrible Doritos ad Doritos people. And we can call that fair if you'll keep giving me the daily show. Yeah. I just love how even if you pay for Hulu Plus, it you you still watch ads. See, and that is why I'm not comfortable paying for Hulu Plus. Because every other pay service, whether it's music or video, I mean Spotify, half the commercials on Spotify are like, hey, if you pay for Spotify, we'll cancel <laughs> the ads. Or they make it sound like, you know, tired of listening to the ads, want to get back to the music. It's like, you don't have any ads, Spotify. All of your ads are for Spotify. You have ads about not having ads. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, you know, like I don't use uh, any music or ser- any pay music services because I'm willing to put up with a commercial occasionally and have it just feel like radio. Like that's, I don't consider that a big deal, but then there are other services. Um, like there's a, a couple uh, podcasts. There's a couple um like ongoing Kickstarters uh, that I've done where they've come out with like subsequent products and I've backed them multiple times because those people, it doesn't make sense for what they're doing to include ads or to really include like an alternative revenue stream. So it's like, Hey, I can't give you a subscription level money. Like I'm not going to give you, you know, a hundred bucks a month or 15 bucks a month or 10 bucks a month, but like a dollar, like I can do a dollar. Yeah. I don't know. Do you, do you, do you, I mean, you sound down on it. Do you think there's any room for, for pay to be an ad free internet for some people? I, I don't see regular humans doing that in mass. I mean, could it be a successful niche? Maybe. Um, it seems like all the, the, when people pay is when scarcity is in place. Newspapers being the prime example of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know the internet destroyed that. We don't have to go over that that old topic of why the newspaper business is not viable. Why you can't convince people to give you money to see what happened today because anyone can report on that. But um, I don't know. I mean, it's it. I feel like this experiment has happened in the app stores, and free with ads is destroying almost every other model. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm all I can think about right now is that episode of Black Mirror where they're in like the crazy future mm-hmm. society where everything is ads all the time. Like the shows are basically just long ads and then there's ads in between the ads and there's ads on top of the other ads. They and, can pay to skip. Yeah, you can pay to skip the ad, but then like the way that money 
because it's cr- like a credit system. So it's literally the way you pay for everything else. It's not like virtual coins. Like it's, it's your real money. It's exactly like if you handed someone cash. And it was even worse than just like, oh, here's like a Pepsi ad. It was like, here is really aggressive porn, really yeah. loud in your room. Yeah, or like an ultra-violent horror movie, like something you really don't want to see. And to incentivize you to skip, because you're like, oh, like what is this doing to my psyche? Skip. Yeah, that's, man, that show is so good. (laughs) (laughs) That's, you know, maybe that's a topic for for some pulp or or likely story, but it's that whole episode, because that was the episode that made me start watching Black Mirror, and the whole time I was like, this is the scary kind of future that seems like believable to me, like post-apocalyptic future stuff. Like, the, you know, the hunger games is, is a good example. Like I'm not really that afraid of the hunger games happening because one, most of the world died to lead up to the world of the hunger games. So <laughs> statistically I'm likely to not even make it. And then, you know, same kind of thing with like Mad Max, like the majority of the people in the Mad Max world were probably born into the Mad Max world. They didn't like live through whatever ended the world. Did they ever tell you what ended the world in Mad Max? Um, was it nuclear war? I don't know. I, I mean, that seems most likely, but you know, unless you're like a ghoul in the fallout universe, you probably don't live to see the, the before and after of the transition. Um, but with, it looks like it, Black- it, it was a, a major energy crisis according to Wikipedia. So maybe people just died off because there was no energy. <laughs> okay. Um, most of the outback has been reduced to low populated communities. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, the, it the was just an excuse really to have the, the flourish there. It's just an excuse to have motorcycle gangs yep. fighting over gasoline. Yeah. But with, with something like that, that dark future and black mirror, or a lot of like twilighty zone stuff, which black mirror is, I mean, obviously like a a modern version of the twilight zone, like those kinds of things, even like Harrison Bergeron, like which has now gotten two mentions in one episode. That's awesome. Cause it's a great story. (laughs) They, uh, they're less like apocalyptic and more just like, what if things really sucked? (laughs) Like people always talk about like the Orwellian future. They're like, Oh, you know, the NSA that's so Orwellian. And I'm like, yeah, but it's a lot more likely we're going to have the Huxleyan future where we just entertain ourselves into stupidity yeah because that one sneaks up on you like people having thought police and stuff like you can't go from the the nsa as it exists now to people who can literally read your minds and control what you're allowed to think without someone noticing like wow that was a big leap from what we were doing before to what we're doing now but the slow entertaining people into being you know submissive cattle like that i feel like that could actually happen and that that's freaky. Well, you can make that argument. Like the government doesn't have to implant chips in us at birth because we are willingly buying Apple watches that strap to our wrist and track us. So yeah, exactly. Like why would you force someone at gunpoint to, you know, like implant this in your baby when instead you can just have a commercial and it's like your baby will strap this on their wrist the minute they have enough money and the faculties <laughs> to do so. <laughs> Pretty much. Man, it's got depressing. dark. <laughs> uh let's let's complain about something then that feels maybe less depressing (laughs) or debate something so i want to talk about hamburger menus um first off the software kind and uh Uh. (laughs) (laughs) what (laughs) 
Ah, go on. Because <laughs> uh, maybe this will at least make you hungry, even if it's depressing. Um, so I, I bumped into this article, which apparently came from a WWDC presentation um, about hamburger menus. So hamburger menus are, so picture a hamburger, you got multiple layers, mostly flat. Um, so that describes in these mobile apps when there's a button that just kind of has an overflow of extra options. Um, you know, in the in the Gmail app, it's to get to all your settings and accounts. Um, I, I think a really egregious one is Facebook because you tap the hamburger menu in that, and there's like everything Facebook does is listed. And yeah, uh, it's like the it's the entire bloated sidebar from the web app. Yeah. And uh, so these hamburger menus are ways for, you know, you have limited screen real estate and you're like, but I want more features. And so you stuff them in there and it's like, yeah, only one or, or, you know, up to four or five things maybe makes it onto the main page. And then you have this little and then the rest button. And uh, so this WWDC presentation was basically saying, hey, everyone, don't get too excited about cramming things in there. And here's all the reasons I think that could be a really bad idea. And, uh, you know, there was a usability, like a, you know, like a, an affordance is like people won't discover entire parts of your app. And maybe you're cool with that, but are you spending developer cycles making awesome features that no one ever finds? And yeah, your power users tap on everything and look everywhere, but most people never make it past what you show them on the front of your app. Um, and that it is this temptation to have this this sinking development cost developing all this extra stuff instead of making hard decisions about what you really actually need to include in your app. Um, and then in iOS in particular, since there isn't a dedicated back button like Android has had forever, um, the top left is a popular place for a hamburger button. And in iOS, that's where the back button goes by default in any, like if you're using the main UI frameworks, that's where you put the back button. You know, you're going to the left, the button's in the top left, you tap there, it takes you to the previous page in the app. And so if you stick a hamburger there, well then if you also have a back button like an arrow, well, is the, you know, if you're not a smart person, you've never used these apps before, you're like, is that an arrow pointing at the hamburger menu? Not that they would call it the hamburger menu. Now that I'm thinking, like I'm picturing this because that would be really strange to have anything over there besides the little hamburger menu. Yeah, because usually it's like kind of an island. Yeah, and then so maybe you put in the top right instead. You know, preserve the back button at least it was if you're talking iOS. Um, and then the top right. Well, the top right is prime real estate for whatever the main button of your app is. Um, if it's like you know, it's a list app. It's the plus will be up there. Um, if it's, um, I don't know, it's a search button in a lot of apps. Um, and so now you're com- you're just making all these great real estate is now being taken over by this thing that is just a bunch of other things. And so that was his sort of warning. So I've, I've ranted for a while now. I'm, I'm wondering what you think about hamburger menus. Do you find yourself diving that far into your apps, or is it mostly go unused um personally i would say i use it in probably every app on my my devices because i'm more of a power user than an average user um that being said if i get into the settings for an app and the settings are not well arranged or the defaults are not intelligent like 
I was forced to go into the hamburger menu. I did not choose to go into the hamburger menu. I find that very annoying. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll put up with it probably a lot more than I should uh, because if it's a service I want to use or an app I just really like, then I'll tolerate going in and changing default. I mean, Twitter is a great example. Like You and I both complain about Twitter constantly and half a dozen times I've had to go into the settings on mobile and say like, hey, you remember how I told you I didn't want this damn thing on the desktop? I also don't want this damn thing on mobile. Like, why did you make me do this in two places? But that's just how Twitter handles those sorts of things. And if not for diving into the hamburger menu and then settings and then notification settings and on and on, you'd never be able to change those. So I feel like the the hamburger menu is goes hand in hand with like smart defaults. Like let me go in there and have everything well arranged if there's something I need to change or want to change as a power user. Don't force me to go spelunking down your giant list of checkboxes because if I don't I'm going to hate using your thing. Yeah. And uh, you don't you don't keep the Facebook app on your phone, do you? I certainly do not. <laughs> um, I still have it on my iPhone, and in a way, they have two hamburger menus. Um, and I'll I'll take a screenshot of this and put it in the show notes. But um, the top right is a, a little profile of a person with three lines coming out of them. Um, basically, as a hamburger, you tap that, you get the list of all the people who are online that you could chat with, and then tapping that will pop you over to the entirely different app messenger um and then the bottom right is a more button that also has three lines same three lines and that pops open and shows you your favorites your pages your groups your apps your feeds your settings and it's just like this giant junk drawer and i think that's the phrase this uh presenter at wwdc said is don't have a junk drawer in your app Um, yeah and i see i feel like the hamburger menu is not solely responsible for people who have way too many settings in their app, um, but it, it facilitates, it gives you the affordance of burying a lot of worthless garbage because it's mostly out of the way and a lot of your users will never see it. So you're like, oh no, we can just put another checkbox in there. But you know, if you are designing things well or you're willing to make you know strong decisions and just say, listen, we're not going to make this a setting. It's not even an option. So there's nowhere for you to go spelunking to because it's not there. You know, that is hard and I'm sure you get, you know, blowback from your users and and you have to make intelligent trade-offs. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying it needs to be done. Like if you want to produce a quality thing, it needs to be a thing that is of quality. That's Yeah. And you... Even if you do it well, you're still risking a huge chunk of your users never going in there. Oh, certainly. I mean, that's uh, when it comes to most of the way Twitter behaves that has pissed us off in the past, you can tell that they made defaults like newsletter defaults and ad defaults and connect with your friend defaults. Like they have set up those defaults in the interest of Twitter, not in the interest of the users. Because being signed up for like a newsletter, is annoying, but it's relatively easy to unsubscribe from. It's not like a huge deal. But what I can't abide is when I'm setting up an app and I'm logging in for the first time, like say it's a new device or I've just installed it or whatever, and then I'm trying to click through all the boring like tutorial stuff. And then right near the end, it's like, hey, you want us to send invites to all of your contacts? And then you're like, no. 
but you've already hit next. And now you just spammed everyone in your contacts with like a, <laughs> Hey, join me on, you know, app. And then they're like, you can't undo that. You can't be like, no, please unsend all those thousands of emails you just sent. Yeah. And I, I mean, we keep making the same point about you just can't over, you can't complicate your app. You, you do have to make decisions and be smart about it. Um, and that's the thing. It, it almost makes me think of when I've done like freelance work, designing a flyer or a, a, you know an ad or anything where something's trying to be communicated, and the the client is like, "Yeah, here are five hundred things I want to communicate," and I'm like, "Okay, can you pick two of them, <laughs> and I'll make you something that works for two of them?" Because um, if you put five hundred things on this, you will get none of them across. And apps feel that way sometimes, where you're like, "Whoa, buddy." Do less, better, please. <laughs> well, I feel so. The what's the name of the book? Is it Make It Stick that we're we're reading right now yeah. for our book club? Um, so I don't think we've ever mentioned this uh, on the show before, but we're in a book club and we read interesting like work related books. But this book, uh, Make It Stick, we just started. Um, one of the the little like quippy one liner things that they then explain, you know, in in several paragraphs is um, if you have to tell them three things, they'll remember none of them. So yep. they're, I mean, they're talking about like making it a pitch from a sales point of view, but the idea has a lot of merit of like, yeah, maybe you do have to tell them these three things, but you were going to tell them five. So can you cut the two non-essential ones and just really get to the core message of those three super important things? Or you want to tell them three things, but did you mean you actually only want to tell them two? Can we cut one of those away? <laughs> and I know not everything can be reduced to a soundbite or a bullet point or, you know, a single word at the core of the meaning and everyone will have a shared understanding. I, I get that. But I mean, there's a lot of times in, you know, visual design in sound design in movies or, or TV shows or music where there's just so much that can be cut away. Yeah. I also was thrilled to find out while researching this about the hamburger menu that the, uh, the old fashioned three dots which I don't think uh, iOS ever used. I think that might have just been an Android thing. Yeah. S- serve the exact same function, often located in the same part of the app. But when it's just three dots and not three lines, it's called the shish kebab menu. Did you know that? <laughs> no. that's. I, I had never, ever, ever heard anyone call it that. Yeah. I, I always called it either most likely the overflow. I think it's actually referred that way in some places. Yeah, I mean, you could probably, that's probably a much more, uh, you know, documentation-friendly way to describe the hamburger menu, too. Yeah. Um, And then I also wanted to discuss hamburger menus at restaurants. (laughs) Um, Not actually, but I did take this, snap this picture as we were driving home, and it was really rainy the other night, Um, and I'll put it in the show notes as well. Um, Burger King, the the lovely Colfax Burger King, and if you're not from Denver, Colfax is a legendary, wonderful place that you should stay away from um, <laughs> at night. Um, so this 24-hour Burger King had a sign up, and I just saw it coming, and I snapped this really rainy through my windshield picture. I wasn't driving, um, and uh, they're they're little message board on their sign says now serving hamburgers for breakfast and that just seemed like a lovely little moment of giving up (laughs) (laughs) so i have uh in recent years um been exposed to some new cuisine and uh it was korean food it was by my wife um (laughs) 
I didn't realize that in general, Asian cultures basically eat the same kinds of food for all three meals. Um, so, I mean, they have like a breakfast time meal and a lunchtime meal and a dinner time meal, but it would not be weird to eat what you had for dinner the night before for breakfast the next morning like that. But in Western cultures, definitely in America, we have like distinct breakfast foods and distinct lunch foods and distinct dinner foods. And it's kind of like, you know, from talking about it with Susan, I was like, oh, well, of course, there's no reason that those rules have to be there. But then on the flip side, from a lifetime of being raised in this culture, in this country, I can't break that mental connection. Like the idea of someone going into a Burger King at eight in the morning and ordering a Whopper is like tragic. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you just like you feel and there's no reason like there's no reason you can't have a Whopper for breakfast. Sad, sad person. But for some reason, it feels really awkward. The only like rationale I can figure is so this is Colfax and it's a 24 hour Burger King. This is people that stay up all night. It's not people getting up at 5 a.m. and going, I want a Whopper now. (laughs) (laughs) There's somebody going to bed at 6 a.m. and at 5 a.m. they want a Whopper. Yeah, it's their fourth meal, as as Taco Bell would have us believe. (laughs) That was a really upsetting ad campaign. (laughs) This this country, you know, we can barely manage three meals successfully without going way overboard with 64-ounce steaks and 64 ounce sodas and things like don't introduce an entire additional meal taco bell that's just irresponsible and america already eats enough yeah Yeah, it's just it's uh it's just irresponsible (laughs) stop it but wildly successful i think i don't know i'm i'm imagining i'm looking at this this picture you snapped and for some reason just the it's dark and the the windows like all smeared with rain and it just makes it like very noir <laughs> like in this dark alternate future you can buy a whopper at any time of day pretty much uh, so this last one this this konami uh do making a terrible mistake um i i have to punt on this i know very little about the Silent Hill franchise or why you are so devastated about this. So please enlighten me. Okay, so this was going to be like w- what we call in the music world the super group. Um, Konami was producing a game, a collaboration between Guillermo del Toro, amazing filmmaker, and uh, Hideo Kojima, amazing game maker. And uh, and then they were working with, uh, since this is a thing these days of real actors being cast in video games, um, the guy who plays, uh, I think his name's Norman Reedus in real life, um, he's in Walking Dead as, I don't know, character names in Walking Dead well enough to do <laughs> Is he this. the sheriff? He's the guy with the crossbow that's all like Nope, sorry, badass. the sheriff's the one character I know. Okay. I don't, I don't watch Walking Dead. Anyway... Other than that potential already being kind of exciting that those people would be collaborating, um, they released this trailer, not trailer, this interactive teaser for the game called PT. You know, playable teaser, I think, because Kojima has a weird sense of humor. That's what PT stands for. Yeah, <laughs> you know, for someone who doesn't appear to speak English because his interviews are always in Japanese, he like obsesses over these little details of like English puns and acronyms and using English in a creative way. I mean, he either speaks excellent English and he's just like ashamed 
and you know uncomfortable speaking live in public or he must have like a fleet of people that yeah. translate japanese ideas into english punnery yeah so this this teaser was incredible um and i played it for maybe an hour or two it, it's not a long thing and it's it's almost like a horror version of groundhog day because you're you know it's it's as cryptic as silent hill games always are you're probably in some form of hell or purgatory but um you're basically walking down the same hallways of your house over and over and it's a very narrow hallway and there's pictures on the walls and there's stuff on a you know a table and uh, you get to the front door and it's different every single time um even though it's the same hallway so and it's just really terrifying and like you go in the bathroom and you f- discover there's an eye hole from the bathroom out into the hallway and something was watching you and then um the next time you go through the hallway there's like this screaming fetus in the sink and it's really disgusting and Whoa. Um, <laughs> what um, and then the next i mean it's the silent hill it's it's always going for that, that that shock value of mostly the dread of what what is there what what is watching me what is making that noise and usually not showing you or when it finally does show you it's like yeah that is horrifying okay good job um (laughs) and um it was all first person which is a a change for a silent hill because they're usually like the was it resident evil style where the it was third person camera and the camera didn't move or did it follow you um the camera followed you it wasn't like stationary shots um the first Silent Hill was actually pretty cinematic for its time because the camera would be at these canted angles and would follow yeah. you and turn. Yeah, it was like sideways. the original. I think the first two or three Resident Evils were like that. Um, but it was always polygonal. It was never pre-rendered backgrounds. Um, oh, okay. So okay. they could do things with the camera on the PS One that hadn't really been done very much yet for horror games. Um, anyway, this this teaser was so compelling and so terrifying that. The idea that this would become a full game with, um, I mean, one of the things Guillermo del Toro is so well known for is his costuming and character design. Um, if you saw Pan's Labyrinth, some of the things in that movie are amazing. Yeah, that's when I think of him, because I mean, I'm not a, a film buff the same way you are, but like that's the exact movie I think of. Like, oh, that's his style. Yeah, and he did Mimic, which was sort of a a, a Me Too 90s monster horror movie but the the like the creature was kind of incredible anyway and then you know he he's very fascinated by bugs and lots of insect like things which is really terrifying for me um and so it, that's that's why it's so crushing because we had this teaser that was really freaky and compelling we had this talent you know coming together to make something amazing that you know we've never seen something like this a, an esteemed director working with an esteemed game maker um and Apparently, and I don't know too many details, there was just a falling out between Konami and Kojima, and uh, the the news came from Guillermo at some, uh, he was at some conference or, or some, I don't know, it's not a Comic-Con, but somewhere, and he, he tweeted out like, this totally breaks my heart, but that thing is not happening. And then the whole internet started crying. <laughs> <laughs> so this is where I, I'm curious about the supergroup analogy because my music industry outsider view of supergroups has always been that they fall apart because of some, you know, ego is so big that even the other giant egos, like can't stand it. And there's infighting and whatever like that, or, 
you know, they just, they're all musicians from different backgrounds and they can't agree. <laughs> this doesn't seem like that. Like this seems like th- you had smart people in different roles that all were willing to say, Hey, you're good at the thing you do. So I'm not really going to question it because that's why you're here. You're here to yeah. be the director. You're here to do the music or whatever. And I don't understand why this project that absolutely no question would have made money is not going to happen. Like what could Kojima who has a long history with Konami have possibly done to piss them off? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it was already a rumor that he was going to leave Konami after this game and like every single metal gear is the last metal gear. (laughs) Um, yeah, I have mixed feelings about that because I'm like, I want the series to keep going, but I know eventually he'll jump the shark so hard, even <laughs> I'm tired of it. Oh, man, the end of Metal Gear Solid 2 didn't jump the shark hard enough. Um, That's what I'm saying. Like, eventually even my tolerance will be pushed <laughs> to the limit. Yeah, I don't know. And I mean, back to the supergroup analogy. Um, I mean, you hear about supergroups that fall apart, but there's also like, oh, David Bowie and Queen. <laughs> that was amazing um or i'm um, doing True. under pressure or um you know you could argue that that devo or or some some other bands are like comprised of amazingly talented people that were able to work together so you you always hear about the ones that crash and burn or it's like the cheesiest thing on earth like a we are the world like let's get a bunch of celebrities to sing one verse each <laughs> i mean even the simpsons parodied that <laughs> yeah well, and that's that's a case of like, oh, we we had a bunch of people cameo for one line instead of like, oh, these uniquely talented people that can hook together in an interesting way made something new. So, you think there's any chance this will be revived as like an independent Kickstarter? Like Kojima will be like, hey, would you guys pre-order this game that doesn't even exist if it meant us all signing back on and building <laughs> this project? Um, I have no idea if Kojima would want to do that. Um, I I do know that Konami says they're committed to new Silent Hill games. <laughs> <laughs> Just not the one everyone said they would buy. Yeah. Uh, so I'll, that's heartbreaking. I'll, I'll never understand the decision-making process of super high-up execs. I mean, obviously, there's a lot that goes into the decision, and then it's boiled down to, hey, this thing was canceled, right? Yeah. But, I just, I mean, being on the the purchaser side of it, I'm just like, yeah, there was no like bad press happening. Everyone who would was talking about this wanted it to happen. Even I, who don't like Silent Hill games because I don't like scary things because scary things are scary. Um, <laughs> even I like wanted to see this happen because I was like a bunch of brilliant people getting together to make a game that a lot of my gamer friends are a fan of in that series. Like, yes why would I not want this to exist? Like, it sounds like the people who want this would love it. And the people who don't want it like me don't have to deal with it. Yeah. (sighs) I think that's (laughs) it. Take us out. (laughs) The angry fish shake at the gods. Why? (laughs) So you can find the show notes for this episode at sunriserobot.net slash flipping tables slash 64. You can find me on Twitter at lines and beta. And you can find Mike at Medwards music. Medwords music one day my friend <laughs> we both do love feedback um a lot of the uh the great follow-up we've had over the last 64 episodes have been from people reaching out to us on twitter so please do keep that coming 
Um, if you do love the show, and I know you do because you're listening, uh, get out of that web browser and subscribe either in iTunes or the RSS feed. Uh, I use Pocket Cast on Android. I think, Mike, you're still on Overcast FM, right? Yep, it's great. It is great. Actually, you know, I every time I tell someone uh, that's using the built-in podcast app on an iOS device to switch to that, they actually come back like a day or two later and they're like, oh my God, thank you. <laughs> and the, the podcast app on uh, iOS has gotten improved a lot, but it's still not overcast. Yeah, it's pretty bare bones, pretty vanilla. So if you want to support the show even more directly, you can go into iTunes and leave us a rating and review. Um, we do, honest to God, read every single one. We appreciate all that feedback. And uh, if you want to go even more crazy directly, you can check out our Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash sunrise robot. And so we want to give a special shout out to some of our uh, ultra diamond, super platinum level Patreons, uh, patrons, Patreon, Patreonites, um, people <laughs> who, who, uh, contributed even a little bit higher level uh bruce edwards matt mariner sean byrne and andreas lunga so we love you guys thank you very much for uh, helping us keep the lights on yep and uh mike i think we'll see you guys next week 